Now that's a name I haven't heard for a long time. I guess this. Jesus. Or should I say Space Jesus? Because we are gonna do the series finale of Obi Wan Kenobi. Kenobi! If anyone's seen um, Rebels, um, obviously I cut that scream short, but Darth Maul does a famous Obi Wan Kenobi scream, and I couldn't resist. Um, I'm going to try and not make this a review of my thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi, but I will undoubtedly tell you a few of my thoughts. Um, because, first and foremost, this is not a reviewing podcast. This is an analysis podcast where we analyze. Okay? Um, but, I do think that this final episode, episode number six, uh, by the way, full of spoilers... So if you haven't watched it and you don't want to get it spoiled, don't listen to this bloody podcast. I've said it a thousand times, except I've probably said it 13 times because this is episode 14. So I would have said it 13 times prior to that. Quick maths. Um, anyway, yeah, this episode um, sort of, I don't want to sound harsh. Okay, I want to preface all of this by saying I was so, so excited for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, right? When the first trailer came out and we heard... Obi-Wan's voice, Ewan McGregor doing Obi-Wan and all that. I'm not going to lie, it brought tears to my eyes and I even let a few of those tears run down my cheeks. My face cheeks, you dirty bastards. Um, and I was super pumped for it. But I've got to admit, the first three or four episodes, it was very hard for me to enjoy it. And I say this as someone that really enjoyed Boba Fett more so than most people I was a defender of Boba Fett obviously I love the Mandalorian season one and season two everybody does I'm also a big lover a big big time lover and I'll do another podcast on it at some point but I'm a big big lover of The Last Jedi and if some people listening to that have gone oh I'm going to off the podcast because I'm Then go ahead, switch off the podcast. I don't give a shit. I love that film and I will do another podcast on it to tell you why you're wrong if you didn't enjoy it. Because my opinion's the only right one. <laughs> misogyny. Um, that wasn't misogyny, but anyway. Anyway, three minutes of rambling. Let's get into it. Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, this last episode was really, really darn cool. There was a few. Okay, I'm just going to tell you actually again why. I had issues with the first few episodes. It was stuff like, I think it was episode three, after they get on the back of that wagon that was driven by Zach Braff in Alien Incognito mode, and they get to that laser gate, and Obi-Wan's like, Oh no, there's a laser gate. How will I get through? And then he ends up shooting the laser gate, and the laser stops functioning, and then they can go through it. And then the camera pulls back, and you realise that either side of said laser gate was enough room to land a jumbo fucking jet in there, as that bloke from Snatch would have said. It's It was just lazy filmmaking as far as I'm concerned. I know it's not a film, it's a TV show, but it was lazy. There was a few lazy moments, or like when he's smuggling Leia under that giant coat when they're trying to escape the... Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the place where all the Inquisitors hang out. Well, what was that? That was some, like slapstick comedy shit hiding Leia under that giant duffel coat and hoping no one saw come on man there was just a few lazy lazy parts but like I've said 
episode six was absolutely banging. So without further ado, do what must be done. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. And press play on the episode. Okay, so one of the first things we have is a scene with um, Moses Ingram, who plays Inquisitor Raver. Um, apparently, in some like real trashy corners of the internet, people were, well, people were racially abusing her, which... Just fall off the earth, mate. Just fall off the earth. Um, I don't even need to go into that. We all know that's absolutely repugnant as fuck. But... Um, apparently, other than that bullshit, people were not pleased with her performance. Um, I thought she was amazing in this entire season. Uh, I feel like a lot of the time, when someone has to play a villain, they can sort of like overdo the intimidation factor. Like, you know, like they're trying too hard to, you know, be mean and scary and intimidating and that kind of thing. Whereas Moses sort of did it with the kind of um, calm, confident, not quite swagger, but just like a calm, confident kind of uh, disposition. Um, I I thought her performance was amazing. I really did. You know, she she wasn't overhamming it. Uh, you know, like in any kind of way. Like who played uh, the fifth brother? Um, Sun Kang, yeah. Like, his voice and everything was good, but in, in a good Star Wars way, in the same as, like, uh, Emperor Palpatine did in... Uh, who played him? Ian McDermott. Same as Ian McDermott did. Like, he was having so much fun with that character. And there's that expression, chewing the scenery, which normally is an insult. Normally means you're, like, overhanding your performance and, uh, you know, kind of overacting in a way. But Ian McDermott absolutely nailed Palpatine. He really, really nailed Palpatine. And it didn't matter that he was sort of chewing the scenery because it was warranted and it fit the the style and the theme and everything. And it was great. And I think that in a way, the fifth brother was similar to that. You know, it's like almost too much. But, you know, it suits the, the character of the fifth brother. So it's fine. Whereas Moses's character, uh, Raver, was like just so cool and calm. And I thought she was amazing. So... Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know she's been getting some shit. Uh, but then it cuts to Vader chasing... Um, I'm going to call them rebels. I know they're not technically identified as rebels just yet. But I'm going to call them the rebels. Um, but it's Obi-Wan Kenobi and um, Ice Cube's son, um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. And Kamal Najini and all of them. They're all running away in the, in the space. In the space. They run away in the space. Um, no, the reason I want to draw attention to it is because the the ship that they're flying is actually like bobbing and weaving and, and moving from the blast of fire from Vader's ship, which I don't think happens a lot <laughs> in Star Wars. Like I know that in the like OG ones when um like Leia's ship is running away from them right at the start of a new hope before um they get docked or boarded or whatever you want to call it by <laughs> docking by uh Vader's ship. Um, I don't know if it was like a technological restraint that meant it couldn't bob and weave, but I think even in the newer ones, whenever there's like a, a Star Destroyer or anything like that chasing uh, some sort of like rebel ship or something, there's not really a whole lot of bobbing and weaving. They kind of just go in a straight line and let the deflector shields do the work, but this one's actually bobbing and weaving. So I just wanted to 
um, draw some attention to that because it makes perfect sense. You would be bobbing and weaving, I'm sure. I'm sure you would, you know. If you look at anything that's not space, you know, like Top Gun or something, they're bobbing and weaving. Although I haven't seen the newest Top Gun. I've only seen the original one, so, you know, don't quote me on that. But anyway, back to the action. Just want to caveat that slightly, actually. Obviously, I know that when they're, like, dogfighting, like, with the Millennium Falcon or with those Naboo speeders in episode one and all that, obviously, those ones are bobbing and weaving. I mean, just when there's, like, a large vessel chasing another relatively large vessel, there doesn't tend to be a lot of bobbing and weaving, but they were bobbing and weaving on this one. How many more times can I say bobbing and weaving? Probably a few bobbing and weaving more. I just want to comment on as well. Uh, I like what Ewan McGregor was doing with his voice in this one. Um, like sort of trying to make it a little bit, a little bit more croaky and how, um, oh God, what's his name? Alec Guinness. Jesus. Can't believe I nearly forgot his name. Um, about that, you know, how he spoke when he was Obi-Wan in episode four and episode five and episode six. I'm pretty sure Force Ghost appears in five and six. Yeah, he does. Uh, you know, he has that sort of more croaky kind of voice. Um, and obviously Ewan McGregor doesn't quite have that in 1, 2, and 3. So now that he's older, he's playing, you know, older Obi. Older Obi. Oldie Kenobi. He's changing the voice a little bit. So we get more of a sort of um, consistency. Consistency? Continuation? Can something see? Something comes... <laughs> I like how Deborah Chow for a lot of... Uh, the shots which you can will use um i'm going to call them active shots because i can't remember what they're actually called and what i mean by active shots is instead of just doing like a shot reverse shot um you know between a few people so say for example when there's a conversation she does do this when there's a conversation but there's kind of not a lot you can do because there's no movement from the performers so when two people are stationary talking to each other and you're just focusing on one person, cutting around to focus on the other person, back and forth, back and forth, shot, reverse shot, right? You can do that a lot when, I mean, it's you kind of have no choice, like I've said, when there's a conversation like that happening, unless you want to like spin the camera around them or stuff to create some sort of tension or mystique, like Quentin Tarantino creates mystique around the Reservoir Dogs characters at the beginning when they're all sat around having coffee, he's moving the camera behind their backs quite deliberately so the audience is sort of like excluded from that conversation. It's like we're eavesdropping on it. Um, so you can do that. However, when there's movement in a shot, for example, when Peru is uh, outside, I don't know, she's fixing something, the camera focuses on her and then um, Owen and Luke come from behind the like Tatooine house hut thingy so the camera sort of pans to them and then moves across to them so we get movement and shot instead of just focusing on her cutting to those two coming out from behind the house and then cutting back to her we get the movement of it and then when they're down inside the I don't know like the courtyard bit of the Tatooine house um, all these Star Wars nerds are going to be like it's called uh, and I'm going to go okay um so when they're down in the house walking, we get a steady cam shot, which like I've explained on other podcasts, a steady cam is normally when the camera operator, cinematographer or whoever will physically have the camera strapped and harnessed to their body and then they move with it as opposed to having it on some sort of dolly or track. Uh, so yeah, for that shot where they're down in the courtyard, the camera's a bit shaky, a bit movie, 
following them around. I don't know if the shakiness and the moviness... Moviness? Yeah, sure. The shakiness and the moviness of that shot is supposed to sort of create a sense of panic, maybe, because they're panicking that Raver is, you know, on her way because she's figured out who Luke is and obviously that Luke is a relative of Vader. So... Yeah, I don't know if it's for that, but uh, I just like that Deborah Chow opted to have movement when she could because she could have just had a camera stationary in the courtyard, watched them come in and maybe panned as they moved through the courtyard or something like that. Um, but instead, you know, she's opted for movement shots, which is nice because it just it's a bit more interesting for the eye. I am going to nitpick ever so slightly on one plot hole on this. Not really a plot hole, but... When Kenobi abandons the group of rebels and decides to, you know, try and distract Darth Vader, and then Darth Vader is all, let's follow Kenobi. And the Inquisitor's like, we must wipe them out in their entirety. Why doesn't Vader just follow Kenobi and then the rest of the Empire just carry on following the rebels? You know? Do the old, uh, you take the high road, I'll take the low road. But they don't. And then eventually that group of rebels will join the other rebels and then they'll blow up the Death Star. And, yeah. You know, it was just a bit of a plot hole that I noticed. Okay. Vader's so damn cool, isn't he? I will say this about Disney. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of what Disney have done with Star Wars, but damn if they brought us some good Vader moments. Be it Vader on uh at the end of rogue one when he's trying to get the plans back and just lays waste to all those poor rebels in that corridor or a few of the things that he's done so far in kenobi you know like when he was just walking through that town i don't know if it was episode three i think walking through that town just snapping people's necks for fun or in the episode prior to this one episode five when he pulls down the starship and rips the hull open with the force and then makes an absolute mockery of um inquisitor raver you know just fights her with the force alone and then gets one half of her saber and absolutely owns her uh they've had they've made some very very cool vader moments in this but uh, obviously the one i'm well not obviously but the one i'm talking about at the moment is it's not even that stellar of a moment but i want to talk about how Deborah Chow uses the camera, so that's what I'm going to do. The ship lands, Vader's ship lands, when he lands on the planet. I don't know what planet it is. I'm sure a Star Wars nerd will tell me. I say you're a Star Wars nerd. It sounded derogatory. I consider myself a Star Wars nerd, but I'm just not one of those people that knows all the planets and all the languages and all the races and all the history of every character because, you know, I've had sex, so there you go. <laughs> Burn. Uh, anyway, so Vader lands on this planet with all those massive sort of, I want to call them stalactites, but I'm pretty sure they're just huge rock formations. And it's a pretty cool planet. It's a nice place to have this battle. And he lands, the drawbridge goes down, the music's all tense and dramatic. Vader starts strutting down that gangway with his cape blowing in the breeze. And the camera starts to track and zoom in towards him, which is a sort of increase in tension, but also 
the impending force of nature that we already know Darth Vader is at this point, particularly in this series, because he's been depicted depicted as nothing other than a brute force of nature and anger and wrath and other adjectives. So zooming in on him as he comes down that gangway is just a way to sort of get the audience into that feeling that, you know, this is this business is happening here. And then you get a kind of Mexican standoff type thing, you know, like the Western movies where you know, two cowboys facing off from each other before they draw their pistols. Uh, except this time it's lightsabers. It's not cowboys. It's Obi-Wan and Vader. So let's, uh, let's crack on, shall we? Oh, and of course, there's that lovely shot when they are facing off from each other where you have a sort of crescent moon in the background and, you know, all those stalactite mountain formation rock things behind Obi-Wan. It's very picturesque, very picturesque. And when it does a reverse on Vader, it's just a clear horizon, nothing behind him apart from his his uh, spaceship. I don't know what one they're called. Someone will tell me. It's not a, like a Y-wing or whatever, a tri-wing or something like that, maybe. I don't know. Someone will tell me. So you get the sort of contrast. I don't know if that represents anything. Obi-Wan being in front of all these rocks. Maybe he's in between a rock and a hard place. But uh, yeah, it's just a cool shot. It's just nice. There's definitely a contrast between him being in front of the rocks and Vader being in front of nothingness. But I don't know what it symbolizes. It just looks nice. Okay, cool. And of course, for the first time, Obi-Wan does the pose. And if you know what I mean when I say the pose, then you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, this is what I mean. When he holds his lightsaber in his right hand, in a sort of, he brings his arm up in a kind of right angle and holds the lightsaber perpendicular to his head. And then with his left hand, points with two fingers, like he's doing some sort of viper thing at his opponent. And it's his signature stance, and he hasn't done done it yet in this whole series. And the, this is the first time he's done it. And then the music goes to signify space Jesus doing space Jesus things. And then this fight is just it's very good. It's very very good. I think they made a very clear choice in the kind of uh, prop production or mise en scène or whatever for the lightsabers in this show in particular to illuminate their light a lot stronger than other renditions of Star Wars things we've seen. And in this fight in particular, it just works so well. It's pretty dark in terms of, you know, it, well, like I said it already, it's at a sort of crescent moonlight, so there's not a lot of natural light there. There's no lights from their ships or anything. So in terms of what's around them, it's pretty dark. So their lightsabers illuminating a lot more is just so satisfying. Uh, and of course, it's the classic Star Wars, red and blue, you know, red for Sith, blue for Jedi. Uh, and I feel like, at least in the early exchanges of this fight, there's, um, Star Wars has always done this, but there's uh, a very apparent stylistic, as in fighting stylistic differences between them. You know, Vader's doing a lot of forceful not forces in using the force but forceful heavy big powerful swings and chops and that kind of thing whereas obi is a lot more frilly i'm going to use the word frilly uh you know uh, 
just a bit more fluid yeah fluid and frilly you know so you get the contrast in in their styles which you know there's if you're a star wars nerd like myself uh they're i'm gonna sneeze again anyway i just sneezed i paused it this time to sneeze uh, you may know that there's a few different lightsaber combat styles. Um, the only one I know is Vapard, I think it's called. It's Mace Windu's one. That's the only one I know by name. I couldn't tell you the difference between them, but I'm pretty sure there's seven different styles. I'm not that much of a Star Wars nerd. As in, I am that much of a Star Wars nerd, but I'm not as much of a Star Wars nerd to know all those styles. Because like I said, I'm not a virgin. Uh, <laughs> uh. I don't care if I get hate for this podcast. It's the Star Wars community. 50% of the people are going to hate it. 50% aren't. I don't care. Um, anyway. So yeah, there's different style... Uh, there's different lightsaber styles and forms. I think, I think they call them forms. Fighting forms. So I don't know if either of these two are doing a particular one. I don't know if the stunt choreographers and, and everything have coordinated this fight to adhere to either of uh, any of those seven styles i just know that from you know a layman's perspective they're quite obviously different styles anyway that's enough rambling about lightsaber styles i really like the music transition though because obviously obi-wan and vader at this point have started fighting so the music's classic star wars you know orchestral loud i wanted to say bombastic but i don't think that's the right adjective for it but, you know, classic Star Wars, when there's a fight, you know, there's some operatic stuff in the background and, you know, ding, 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 and all that. It's just good. And then when it goes to Raver sort of looking for Luke in Owen and Peru's house, the music's more subtle, a bit quieter. You know, it just, it it's hard to explain the music, but, you know, watch it and you'll hear it. It's just good. Good music arrangements. Well done, as usual. Les Dachers. I love that big pan sweeping. I don't know if it would have been a crane or a drone or probably just maybe CGI. CGI? CGI. Um, but I'm going to pretend it was either a crane or a, a drone sort of sweeping in from behind these rocky stalactite type things. As the music is coming back up and we hear the of the lightsabers clashing in the distance and we just sort of see a faint glow of, you know, the colours of the lightsaber shining and then, you know, it cuts to being closer. So doing that sort of sweeping shot in is bringing us back from the Raver fight scene, the Raver and Owen and Peru fight scene, back over to Obi-Wan and Vader, you know, swooping back into it, bringing us back into the action. And then there's a really cool bird's eye view shot of them fighting you know, which is just shaking up a little bit. Like, Deborah Chow's not afraid to throw in some different angles and some moving shots and this and that and the other. Uh, it's just nice to see different fight... Because as well, the fight choreographers undoubtedly would have been like, okay, well, the camera's going to be above them now, so let's do some stuff that will look cool while the camera's up there. You know, there's no point just doing, I don't know, something that would only look great if the camera was on the side, you know? So... The whole team here behind this episode or this series or whatever is really firing on all cylinders. You know, depending on where the camera is or what the camera is doing, the fighting is showing us the best of what they have for that particular shot. If that makes any sense. If it doesn't make any sense, well, I don't care. Go screw yourself. 
It's a kind of callback to a move that Obi-Wan does when he fights Darth Maul at the end of The Phantom Menace. I was going to call it The Phantom Apprentice then, but that's a Clone Wars episode. <laughs> By the way, if anyone hasn't watched the Clone Wars animated show or Rebels, do yourself a favour and watch them both because they're fan bloody tastic. For the first season or two of both of them, you might be thinking, hang on, this is for children. But then I promise you, by season three and four of both of them, you'll go, oh, this is for adults. And if you like Star Wars, you'll bloody love it. And if you don't like Star Wars, stop listening to this podcast. What are you doing here? This isn't for you. Go away. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. What was I going to say? Yeah, there's a callback to a movie he does when he's fighting uh, Darth Maul, um, which I did. I noticed it when I was a kid because the fight choreography in that fight scene is off the charts and it probably has my absolute favorite Star Wars theme music, the Duel of the Fates theme music. That one. Anyway, um, it's when Obi-Wan basically like as if he was if you know what tricep extensions are with like a rope or dumbbells or something he basically does he does that so he puts the lightsaber behind his head pointing down his back uh, and blocks one of Darth Maul's uh, attempted hits towards his back and he does the same thing against Vader and then Vader just like I don't know punches him in the face or something um, but it, I thought it was a cool little throwback. And then when Vader crunches the floor, that's what I'm going to... He uses force crunch and he crunches the floor. I know that's not what it's called. But And Obi-Wan falls down and then we get a shot looking up at Vader. And the first thing that came to my head was, oh, Vader has the high ground now. Because obviously at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan quite famously holds the high ground. And there you have it, folks. Okay. I know they have plot armor because it's Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, but again, a small gripe with this is I guess we could argue that Raver's not at full strength because she has been stabbed through the middle and is somehow still functioning despite no one helping her and being left in a desert. But that's by the by. My point was going to be that the plot armor surrounding Uncle Owen and Aunt Prue is just a little bit too strong because Raver should have absolutely stormed through them. You know, like when Owen's on the bridge and he's defending the little bit where they've left Luke and... I don't know. You could watch it. I mean, it's very dramatic. There's a great few shots in it. Music's all good and everything, but come on. Come on. She uses the Force. She has Force choke in her arsenal. I'm sure she does. She has a lightsaber in her hand. Owen tries to defend the lightsaber with a pole. She cuts through the pole and then she just like slaps him off the bridge when she should just, you know, stab him with a lightsaber. But, you know, plot armor exists. Other than that, very good scene. God, the bit where Obi-Wan Kenobi comes out of that hole when, after Vader's thrown all those rocks at him and just starts going OP. Oh, he does a lot of twirling his lightsaber, you know, around changing hands and stuff. And, you know, some people might look at that and go, what is that achieving? Like, you know, any sort of legitimate sword fighter or something might be like, what is he achieving? He's not doing anything. You know, maybe it's a confusion tactic or whatever. But come on, when you've got a lightsaber in your hand, it just looks badass. So I don't really care if it wasn't achieving a lot. It just looks really cool. The choreography is immense. Um, 
it's just it's very satisfying to see Obi-Wan just let loose on Vader and, and start kicking ass. And then, obviously, Obi-Wan is often referred to as Space Jesus. He actually does a Jesus Christ pose of sorts, not the Soundgarden song. Jesus Christ pose! Um, as he holds out his arms very wide and raises all those rocks behind him to start pummeling the crap out of Vader. But the camera angle, as he's... Obviously, it's wide on him so that we can have his arms out and his saber still be wide and show the huge amount of rocks that he's lifted up behind him. So it has to be a wide shot to encompass all of that. But then it's also angled slightly lower down because if you've heard me speak about it on previous podcasts, angles are often used, you know, high and low angles are often used as the status thing. So if you're angled from below, that makes you look sort of taller and higher in status and thus more powerful. So where Obi-Wan at this point in the fight is overpowering Vader, that's why that angle's down there low. Uh, and then it's, you know, slightly to the sides so that we can get a good glow of the blue lightsaber sort of illuminating the side of his face. It's just a wonderful shot and a wonderful fight sequence, I think. Yes, good. And then as Obi starts to really kick the crap out of him we and, you know, take some shots at his, uh, you know, breathing apparatus and things like that, we start to hear those, like, you know, those sort of wheezed inhales instead of the classic, like, those wheezed inhales that happen at the end of, I believe it's at the end of episode six, um... Return of the Jedi, which is my favorite Star Wars movie. No, my favorite Star Wars movie is not Empire Strikes Back because I'm not a basic bitch like the rest of you basic bitches. Uh, anyway, yeah, we start to hear those you know wheezes happen, which is obviously an indicator that um, Vader's not doing so well. And I love that shot of after. Okay, so Obi Wan does an amazing like run and jump lunge thing through the air and swipes down across Vader's head. I don't know if he he must have been going for a killing blow, but all he did was graze the front of Vader's mask and all these sparks and things go everywhere. And then Vader's hunched over and we have his red lightsaber in sort of the foreground of frame down by his side and Obi-Wan's lightsaber just sort of just out of focus behind him. So we get the blue and red light contrast as Vader's hunched over and the camera is all shaky you know, so that's maybe reminiscent of like their battle fatigue, you know, when when you're really tired and you're fatigued, you're not as steady on your feet, could be that kind of thing, could be showing how sort of on the ropes Vader is at this moment, um, but it's it's just, it, w- it wouldn't be as impactful of a scene if the camera was completely static and stationary for that. Um, and of course, it's uh, it's revealed that there's a massive gash down the front of Vader's helmet, and we get to see old battered and bruised burnt to a crisp well previously burnt to a crisp Anakin Skywalker underneath it is really reminiscent of spoiler alert for Star Wars Rebels spoiler alert there's a scene really really awesome episode I think it's near the end of season two where Ahsoka fights Vader and she does the same thing she cuts a hole at the front of his mask and sees Anakin and I said the first time Ahsoka realizes it's Anakin I can't remember now. It's been a while since I've watched it. Um, or or it might, maybe it's the first time she sort of like is like, 
my friend like while she's fighting Anakin and Obi-Wan has a, obviously a similar moment now he's like my friend and it's very emotional good god literally the, I watched I rewatched all of the Star Wars movies a few months ago and I was <laughs> I literally cried at the end of Revenge of the Sith because it's so emotional it's my childhood man it's my goddamn childhood I was I was old enough to have watched four, five, and six before Phantom Menace came out. I think I was literally like six years old when I watched four, five, and six. My dad had them on VHS. And then one, two, and three came out, and I was like right at the correct age. I must have been like eight, maybe, seven or eight, maybe, yeah, when Phantom Menace came out. So I was like at peak Star Wars age. So it's always been my absolute jam. So rewatching them now at like 28, 29, it still gets me a mouche when he goes, you were the chosen one! And all of that, it's just, ugh. So anyway, we get reminiscent on that kind of moment of the, the, the tragedy that is their friendship and their brotherhood, you know, falling on either side of the, the good and bad, the Sith and the, the Jedi, or whatever way you want to slice it the dark side and the light side of the force and things it's just oh man it's just good shit they they use the the light of the lightsabers really well in that final exchange between obi-wan and anakin where obi-wan's you know apologizing and he's got tears in his eyes and he's apologizing for everything that happened between them and sort of failing him in his eyes and then anakin saying, you know, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did, I'm what remains, and things. Um, the audio blend between Hayden Christensen's voice and James L. Jones's booming Vader voice is, is really cool, because obviously at this point his helmet's been breached, and it's the first time we see Anakin's face, like I've said. So we hear parts of Hayden's voice mixed in with James Earl Jones's so really nice audio blend uh, but I wanted to comment on the lighting uh, it, it it might might be really obvious and probably isn't worth me drawing attention to but I liked it just the way that you know early on in the exchanges particularly when Obi-Wan's apologizing it's a lot of the blue light of his lightsaber and then even when Anakin's sort of talking um not peacefully but he's talking he's not talking about hurting Obi-Wan he's just talking about like not being Obi's failure and and him being the one that killed Anakin um he's somewhat more illuminated by the blue but then when he starts to be all you know I will destroy you and stuff he holds his lightsaber higher off screen and his face starts to become very red from the the light of the of the red lightsaber uh, it's just uh, it's really nice, good uses of lighting and sound. And the acting is immense. Ugh, I fucking love Star Wars, man. <laughs> and then similarly to Darth Maul's Kenobi in Rebels. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep referencing Rebels and Clone Wars. And if you haven't seen it, it's just, you're missing out. You're missing out. But Darth Maul gets a great... Kenobi. Kenobi. I'm not going to intimidate, uh, impersonate it. It would just tear my vocal cords to shreds because I haven't done any vocal warm-ups for weeks. But 
instead of giving him Kenobi to shout, because that would just be too copycatty, um, he actually goes, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, and, you know, screams that a bit. But to me, it was really reminiscent of that Darth Maul thing. That is one thing that um, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, 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 Ferreira Roche have done really well uh, with these live-action Star Wars TV shows like Mando, Boba, and this is the Easter eggness, you know, all the tie-ins and throwbacks and callbacks and Easter eggs from either the films or um, the Clone Wars and Rebels. It's really, really good. See, if if you've watched The Mandalorian and loved it, but you haven't watched Clone Wars or Rebels, watch those and then watch The Mandalorian again and you'll be like, oh, look at all this extra shit they threw in that I didn't realise the first time because I didn't watch it all. Um, I don't know why I ummed. There was no further thought, further thought to that thought. I really like what they did with Raver's arc. Um, you know, Star Wars has always had that idea that people can come back from the dark side, you know, Anakin slash Vader in Return of the Jedi comes back over to the light, <clears throat> hence why he gets his little forced ghost at the end. Um, so Raver has a similar thing. Well, we you know it's it's been apparent that she's not fully on sort of the Empire side and things, but she is obviously a dark force wielder. Uh, but her aim was always to sort of get revenge on, on Vader, which is, you know, a, a dark side sort of motive. And then she wants to get revenge uh, by killing Luke. And then she decides that she she doesn't have it in her. You know, she can't do it. Uh, she thinks better of it and spares him and then has a little bit of a questioning moment. And then Obi-Wan, being the benevolent, loving person he is, tells her that, uh, you know... It's up to you who you want to be and and uh, blah de blah de blah good moral things. So yeah, it's a nice little close to her arc. Um, hopefully we see her again in some capacity, you know. Uh, but then it cuts to uh, Vader's Mustafar base, where he has a badass pointy building at the edge of like a lava waterfall. So all this lava pulls down from his base into this like lava stream it's just it, and then we get an awesome like drone shot or helicopter shot whatever it's definitely cgi because this planet doesn't exist but it's an awesome like drone shot in on it um like i said disney is just hitting home runs out of the park with uh with a lot of what they do with vader it's bloody good shot it is and after vader has his little exchange with the emperor via hologram there's a fantastic symmetrical shot as the camera pulls away from vader set in his throne we've got the sort of open window behind him showing the sort of red uh what do you call it atmosphere uh with you know it's just a great symmetrical shot you've heard me wax lyrical on these podcasts before about how satisfying symmetry is in cinema and film and it's in abundance here and then as it tracks back we get the classic imperial theme 
which is just always good to hear. And of course, you know, being that that theme is synonymous with Vader, it's a nice way to sort of cap off his arc in this uh, series. So, well done, Deborah, knocking it out the park on this episode. And then because we leave Mustafar and go straight to Alderaan, there's a cool bird's eye view drone shot of uh, how green it is. So we immediately go from the contrast of the dark and the lava and all that kind of fire and the dramatic bam, 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 to this lovely shot of all this green foliage and then it pans up and you have all these white, tall, fancy-looking Alderaan buildings with these lovely snowy mountains in the background. It reminded me a lot of looking at like Minas Tirith in Lord of the Rings. Um, and then the music has, you know, layers getting ready for some... Older on ceremony, something, something important, something I don't know, whatever it is she's getting ready for. The music's all sort of nice and a bit cheeky, you know, because she's she's quite a sort of feisty, cheeky character that's like you know older than her years. But like, what's the phrase? Wiser than your years, wise beyond her years, something like that. You know, she's a bit sort of cheeky kind of character. So the music is like reminiscent of that, and it's just a complete contrast. In every way, the lighting, the mise-en-scene and, and the scenery and then the music and everything to what we've just had with Vader and Mustafar. As I'm re-watching this, it just occurred to me. Um, what's his bloody name? The leader of Alderaan. I don't know if he's the leader of Alderaan. Leia's fake dad. Leia's adopted dad. Ugh. A guy from Sons of Anarchy. I can't remember his name or his character's name. Senator Bail Organa. Jesus Christ. Jimmy Smith. God, I'm tired. I am recording this after midnight. That uh, we're with me. He goes, when Obi-Wan gets off the ship and, you know, to sort of greet them again, he goes, we can never repay you. Mate, I'm pretty sure you're rich. You're, like, loaded. And in episode one, you saw that Obi-Wan was living in a cave surrounded by sand and didn't have any food or, you know, half the crap that you got, you're load you can definitely repay him. Repay the man. Give the man a shiny new spaceship at least. Come on, bail. Be a tight ass. Okay, admittedly, like I said, this isn't a review. But some of the dialogue throughout this season has been very clunky and not the best and a little bit forced. <laughs> forced. But Obi-Wan's sort of parting words to Leia of, you know, the descriptions of Padme and Anakin and, you know, having those sort of qualities bestowed onto Leia. It's, oh, it's beautiful because it's so tragic what happened with Padme and Anakin. And it's, uh, it's just lovely to, for Obi-Wan to be able to sort of say that to Leia. And then Leia says to him, will I ever see you again? In almost the exact way that baby Anakin says that to his mum, Shmi, when he leaves her on Tatooine. It's literally almost exactly the same way that they say it. It's like the same pitch, the same cadence. I don't know if that was deliberate or if this young actress watched that and was like, that's how I'm going to do it. Or if Deborah Chow asked her, to do it that way but it's literally the same go back and watch episode one 
Phantom Menace, I mean, not uh, Obi-Wan Episode 1. And here, both Baby Anakin, I say Baby Anakin, he's like, I don't know, nine in it. And her, they both say, will I ever see you again? In like the exact same way. Um, No other thing, just commented on that because I'm weird and I notice things like that. I do find it a little bit weird though that now obviously because of this season and Obi-Wan spending so much time rescuing Leia constantly that there's a slight inconsistency now between this and A New Hope whereby uh, with Leia's message that she transports through R2 to get to Obi-Wan where I don't know if I'm getting the dialogue exactly right but she says something like years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars or something to that effect whereas really now after watching this season she should say years ago you saved me from Flea the bassist of Red Hot Chili Peppers you know what I mean just a bit of an inconsistency there so I don't know if maybe you know in hindsight they should have had not Leia in this program but I do like young Leia Um, it's fun you know she's a cool sort of like feisty little character um sometimes the whole like child prodigy thing is a bit tired because no child on earth is that smart or cool or capable especially when they're like 10 they're normally just you know looking up in the air and spinning around and things like that but you know anyway just you know just a slight sort of like plot hole in the scope of star wars as opposed to specifically this show by the way, I do realise that for this entire podcast, I've been saying Peru instead of Baru. It's a mistake I've made my entire life, I don't care. However, it was so satisfying to finally get an Obi-Wan. Hello there. It was right at the end, and he says it directly to Luke Skywalker, which is pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, like I said before, Filoni and, and Favreau, they really know how to do the old uh, fan service and Easter egg stuff. And uh, finally, Liam Neeson gets to come back as Qui-Gon as well, be it in Force Ghost form. I know he did a few little bits during the Clone Wars TV show. But I just love how keen he is to come back. You know, most... Most actors in his position in terms of like his A-lister credibility might be like, no, I'm not going to come back for like a 30-second cameo and have to put on all this like hair and wig makeup and stuff to be Qui-Gon. But I just love how keen Liam Neeson is to do it. And the final shot of the whole show after we've spoken to Qui-Gon briefly and he's walking, well, he's riding that star wars camel thing towards this like crevice so there's you know there's like rock formations on either side and he's heading down the crevice in the middle and we have the sun setting high up on the left and then on the right hand side it's sort of like uh you know dusk is coming in so i don't know if that's a representation of you know the one side being light and one side being dark classic sort of star wars thing or if it just looks cool Uh, but it's a really nice uh finishing Finishing shot. She sells seashells on the seashore. Um, Yep, I really, really liked this episode. Mainly because of the Obi-Wan-Vader fight and verbal exchanges. Because it just brought back so much of what was great about 
Revenge of the Sith. Um, like I've said, you know, a lot of this series was a little bit problematic, uh, but this isn't a review podcast, so I won't get too far into it. Uh, but this final episode really did um, tick a lot of boxes. Uh, I love Star Wars. I know I may have got a few bits and bobs wrong here and there throughout this podcast in terms of like the what's canon or not or some of the mythology and things behind it. But I, I really do genuinely love Star Wars and I know I take the piss out of people that are far more nerdy on it than I am. Um, but when they lose their virginity, then they can take the piss too. I joke again... Um. anyway yeah I hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you could please do any rating and reviewing and subscribing and things on whichever channel you're listening to this um, I'll appreciate it and uh, yeah may the force be with you <laughs>